last couple weeks for Christmas and New Year's, we've taken a bit of a break from our ongoing series in the book of Ecclesiastes. But this morning, we're going to be diving right back in where we left off. And the hope is that by the end of January, we'll be able to bring this all to a conclusion. Now, as we've seen so far, contrary to what we may think, Ecclesiastes is not bleak. It's not hopeless. It's indeed somber at many times, but that's because it deals honestly, face-to-face with the realities of our fallen world, with the, the reality that there's brutality, the existence of evil, of sin, injustice, and it deals very honestly with the reality and the inevitability of our own passing, our own death. It's really a book of hope whereby the people of God are to look above this reality, to find their hope and their strength in God who is above this vain world, and to walk in a way of godly wisdom, to live life to the fullest to the dependency of God. And that's really what we saw in the last time that we were together, wasn't it? That we are to live to the, to the fullness of God. So everything in this fallen world is really up in the air. It's unpredictable, especially our own lives. We don't know when death may come. And so if we are sister, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, if we are followers of God, we are called to live life to the fullest all of the days that God has given us. So this morning... As we come now to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, 13 through 10, 20, I've entitled our time together, Folly Inflicts Harm, So Walk Wisely. I think we can all start to understand, even by the simplicity of the title, what we're talking about this morning, that just a little bit of folly can bring great harm and ruin to a family, to a church. We've been encouraged time after time that meaning in life can only be found as we look up to God and walking in a godly wisdom is a means that help us nav- helps us navigate this world that, that we find ourselves in. But this morning, we're going to see that there's an admonition, there's a caution here that it only takes a little bit of folly, a little bit of foolish absent-mindedness on our part, a little lack of good judgment or discernment to cause great harm to ourselves and others around us, even to the point of ruining our testimony. Now, I don't know when the last time you were in a grocery store, but (laughs) under this pandemic, it's probably been a while, but imagine yourself in the grocery store again and you come across one of those little folding signs that says, slippery when wet. And you see it, and you ignore it, and you go around the corner, and your feet go out from underneath you. You either grab something around you and bring a whole pile of food down onto the floor, or you just find yourself sprawled out down there. That's basically what we're talking about this morning. Just one moment of neglect in walking in wisdom can bring great harm. Now, up to now, we've never really had to define what folly is. It's a principle or a thought that we we do understand to some degree. But simply put, folly is a lack of common sense or good judgment. It's a a lack of discernment. And we've certainly seen that played out in the last couple days or the last weeks of this pandemic, this lockdown, haven't we? It's been everywhere. A lack of discernment. A CEO of a large hospital and regional care system goes to the Dominican Republic for holidays. 
a senator who co-signed the bill, the order to ban international travel during the pandemic, himself goes to Mexico for holidays. The chair of the House of Commons Ethics Committee goes to the United States to look after a property and then stays for holidays. And perhaps the most insane example of all, a manager overseeing border and health travel. It's a public agency of the, of the government of Canada. And their job is to be responsible for keeping all of these communicable diseases out of Canada and reducing the health risks for us as Canadians. They go on a free trip to Florida. And beyond that, they're there blogging about it, showing pictures of themselves. And the indignation you see in the papers and you feel, it's palpable, isn't it? I don't know why, if it's because of they have money or if they have, feel they have privilege or just total lack of discernment, they've made these decisions. And some of them, I would say, even are derelicts of duty. They are supposed to be examples, and yet the discernment they have demonstrated was not up to snuff. Now, before we go pointing fingers and thinking, well, we'll never make decisions you know, to that magnitude, the truth is we can, have, and probably will make decisions that are counterintuitive, that are folly. We know better otherwise. And here's the thing, is as Christians, folly for us also includes a lack of understanding of godly judgment and discernment. So we, we have this idea of worldly wisdom. You should know better according to the ways of the world. But for us as Christians, not only do we have that, we have the word of God, which outlines what a godly life or decision-making process should be. And so we have that as well. Either way... A little bit of folly on our part is like putting poison into a well. It only takes a little bit to ruin the well and bring great harm to anyone who's using it. That's where we're heading this morning. Since a little bit of folly inflicts great harm, we need to be very cautious and walking wisely to navigate life. So as, as we turn to our verses this morning, I, I don't know if you notice when we're reading it together, but it's a pretty big section of Scripture, isn't it? Not only that, but there's, it's full of proverbs and sayings that are hard to understand. You could probably sit there and spend a couple hours and, and, and try to figure it out, and it would be pretty difficult. And then we, we look at it and we say, well, what's binding all of these things together? There seems to be no cohesion, no, no logic behind this. Well, what I'm going to suggest you do this morning is take out your pencils, have your Bibles there, and we're going to divide these scriptures up into three sections, each one according to the major metaphor of an animal that's there. So in the first section, chapter 9, 13 through 10, 4, you can mark that as a little square bracket in your Bible as I do in mine, it, it talks about flies. It uses the metaphor of flies. In the second one, chapter 10, 5 through 11, we talk about snakes. And in chapter 10, 12 through 20, we talk about birds. That's a major animal metaphor that's used to, to bring some cohesion here. So if we use these animals, it, it starts to give us some structure. 
And so that it not only gives us guidance and to remember the points of, of what's going on in, in all of this, but we can actually start to see that there's some logic behind what's going on here. There is not chaos. There is logic thought. So the first one we come to, chapter 9, 13 through 10, 4, is flies. And we have the, the major metaphor there is wisdom is greater than might or weapons of war, but a, dead, a few dead flies ruin the ointment. So the first thing that we come across as we start into this, we, we're reminded again of the necessity of wisdom and its great strength if practiced and used right. And we're told because we have this story of a small city and by all human understanding, it's about to be overrun. There's a powerful king, insurmountable odds. There's siege works packed against it. It's just not going to survive. But there was one poor yet wise man who by applying wisdom saved the town from destruction. Now, in, in today's phrases or words, we might say brains are better than brawn. Now, for all of he did, that he did, well, we need to remember that he wasn't remembered himself. In fact, he was despised, and his words were unheeded later on. But he did save the city. So the major point of this little story is that wisdom is better than might. It's better than the weapons of war. This poor man, by his wisdom, brought salvation to this town. By applying wisdom in life, we can have great influence in this world for good. And we can have great influence for ourselves, but for everyone else with whom we come in contact with. Because there is such a great value in wisdom, we must use it. We must practice it for our own good, for our own walk, but by doing so, we can also have a great impact on the world around us. Uh, the little side memo here is just don't expect any great reward or to be listened to all the time. But the truth is, we can have great influence in this world for good. Now, this benefit of wisdom is highlighted again in verse 17 with another proverb. It says, the words of the wise are better than the shouting of a ruler amongst fools. Have you ever been in a room where there's two or three or four people and they're arguing and they're getting excited and they're just jumping on each other's words and you can see the anger just writhing and there's one person who in their calm, their level-headedness says just a couple things and everything is diffused. That's what wisdom can do. It diffuses situations. It, it cuts out anger and arguments. When our girls were really little, we weren't in the GTA, but they were having some problems at different times with bullies, in part because they were new to the community. And our response was, remember, Jesus says to love your neighbors, or sorry, love your enemies. And so we told the girls, you, you need to respond with kind words and caring words. And believe it or not, over a short period of time, those words diffused the situation. The reality is, is, all of us will find ourselves in situations where bullies prevail. I'm actually surprised at how much there is in terms of bullying in the workplace. Bosses who use their powers. You can have mean neighbors who go out of their way to, to be overbearing with you. You can have bad teachers we need to remember that our use of godly wisdom can diffuse a situation, 
can change the attitudes and the actions of others around us in our families, in our homes, in our church, at our work. So wisdom has a great benefit, not only for us, but for us as we interact with the world. And that's what the preacher means in verse 4, where he encourages us not to run or turn away from someone in a position of authority who is angry over us. Now, this seems to be the opposite of chapter 8, verse 30. And the opposite advice there was you need to get away from the angry, oppressive person. But the reality is that both situations are right in the right circumstance, right? There are times when you should leave, but there are also times when, because of our wise words and actions, great harm can be averted to others. So the idea is that godly wisdom is so important to navigate our life. It, it For ourselves, it avoids landmines, and it helps us to stay on track and focused with God. But beyond that, it is also a godly influence for others around us, whether they know Christ or not. The problem is, though, there's one big problem here in verse 17. A sinner can destroy much good. Today, we might say one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. For, for the Christian, wisdom is so important to navigate life, but wisdom can easily be undone and undermined. <coughs> it, it doesn't take much folly or silliness, does it, to ruin everything that great wisdom has done. And that's what's meant by a few dead flies can make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. When I was in Rwanda several years ago, I was sitting <clears throat> in a warm afternoon, having a nice cool drink in the shade, talking and thinking, you know, why isn't there a church around here? And I asked the Christian couple that we were staying with, and they told a story about a pastor's wife. There had been a church, but for whatever reason, she felt insecure. Her actions and her words became accusatory. She ended up alienating people from the church, destroyed the ministry, and two well-trained African leaders had to leave the church. We saw it in Chile, too. A church split over who put the welcome rug at the front door. Believe it or not, that's what ruined it. Now, I don't know if you've seen situations like that in North America. They do happen. They happen in Canada, too. So folly can have great ramifications and, and trouble for us. I, I just want to add at this point, though, that folly is not necessarily always sin. We have to think about it this way. It, folly is not always sin, but it is always a step into sin. Does that make sense? Think about a man or a woman who commits adultery. Adultery is the sin. Folly are the actions consciously or unconsciously, that lead them to the point where they've given their heart over to that other person. They found themselves in situations or gave themselves over to situations by folly so that their heart was given to this other person. So folly is the crack in the sidewalk in where the tiniest of seeds of sin can take root and flourish. And folly is always that first step. We need to apply folly. We need to apply it continually. We need to apply it constantly. 
It's like a, a wound. You have to put pressure on the wound and you have to keep it there continually. Not, uh, we, we need to, to not let ourselves up and fall into even just the smallest of folly. Always looking at situations and people and finding the best in them. Always wanting to apply the love of God and the word of God to the situations that we find ourselves in. Gently correcting the, the attitudes of those around us that demonstrate a lack of godliness, uh, a lack of wisdom, especially in believers, in brothers and sisters in Christ. Gently. And here's where it only takes a few flies to ruin the ointment. It says, a wise, man heart, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, while a fool's heart inclines him to the left. Now, we're not talking about left and right in terms of what we would think about in, in our normal uh, political speech today. We're talking about ancient cultures. And if you're talking about the right, you're talking about a, a place of power, of justice, of goodness. The position on the left, however was evil, was disobedience, it was the abuse of power. So this difference is between the wise man and the fool. It, it's so evident. It, it's, it says it's like a, a fool walking down the street. He's going here and there, back and forth. He lacks a sense of direction and purpose. And as I was thinking about it this morning, I was thinking about somebody walking down the middle of Dundas Street, between the lanes of traffic, between all of the TTC vehicles. That's a foolish man. That's a foolish woman. By their actions, by their words, they will demonstrate their foolishness, their lack of wisdom. A, a fool always likes to tell others that they're a fool. Now, that's not saying, you know, look at me, I'm a fool, but it, it's saying that it's a very demonstrative thing in the way they act, in the way they speak. They're always putting their two cents worth in something. They're always trying to correct things. They're always trying to say that, I'm that I, I, I understand things right. They're complaining. So here's the big idea, the main point for number one here. The first point. Wisdom has great value in our lives. By it, we can influence others for good. Stop bad situations from getting worse. But remember, it only takes a little bit of folly to ruin everything. So it needs to be a part of everything we do and everything we say. And that's really the purpose statement for everything else that falls out now. Because the next two sections talk exactly about this. So we start looking at chapter 10 verses 5 through 11. And we talk about snakes. I, I want to just synthesize what we're going to look at here and say, since a little folly can undo so much, wisdom must govern every aspect of our daily work or labor. That's basically the umbrella under this section of snakes now. Again, we, we start with the remembrance of the consequence of folly. It's a world that is upside down and backwards from what it should be. It reminds me of Enid Blyton's book, The Magic Faraway Tree, and specifically uh, one chapter in it called The Land of Topsy-Turvy, where everyone is walking upside down. But the reality is, is the consequence of folly is a world that's upside down, a world where fools find themselves in places of leadership, where the rich or the wise find themselves in lowly places. 
A place where slaves are riding horses in places of honor or princes are walking as slaves. Now, I don't know about you. This sure sounds a lot like modern politics today, doesn't it? (laughs) Those who are in places of power sure seem to lack a lot of basic common knowledge and wisdom. They just seem to attract uh, controversy and bumble from one situation to another. But you know what? The same is, is the same. It's the same in our workplace. One of the most difficult things that we will have to deal with is a boss who treats people badly, who abuses his authority, who's selfish, who's a bully, whose decisions just seem to be lacking any aspect of wisdom. And here's the thing. In this section of Scripture, we're told that we, if we continue in this, we can provide godly input and counter that folly. Now, just earlier this week, I was talking to a young man from our congregation on the phone, and he was lamenting about his job and the situation and how others had left and how he was thinking he had to move and starting to even look now. And I listened, and I thought, okay, great. You've been there, you know, five years. This is not necessarily a bad idea. And I was thinking about this verse yesterday. And if you're listening, please <laughs> take this to heart, dear brother. The reality is... Is it a time to go? Because in godly wisdom, you can have great influence into that workplace. By living for Christ, you can avert great harm to others who have to be there. So we need to think about that. In reality, every aspect of our life is filled with danger. We may not always see it, but it's always there. We see that in verses 8 through 9 with the use of four different metaphors here, or Proverbs. Someone who digs a pit and covers it over or forgets about it is going to fall into that pit, isn't it? Someone who is uh, building a wall or tearing one down and forgets to look inside to see if there's a serpent there is going to get bit by the snake. Someone who works in the quarry is always in the danger of the rocks falling on top of him or rolling on him. And someone who is splitting wood is always in danger of having that wood split uh, or shards come at him. Or even worse, the axe bouncing off it and, and hitting you. So every aspect of life has its dangers. And we don't necessarily think about that. But that's the point of these Proverbs here. Every aspect of life has its danger. A little bit of folly can harm and even kill us. So because of that, we really need to learn to apply godly wisdom to every aspect of our life, to to everything that we find ourselves busy at. In fact, it's so important. It's actually talked about, wisdom is talked about here as an axe that needs to be sharpened. Now, I don't know if you've ever used a dull axe before. (laughs) It's one of the worst things in the world. You can have a very malleable or soft piece of wood, and you could be hacking away at that axe, but it's not going to do much. It needs to be sharpened. If you hit with with a dull axe, it's going to be bounced off. But once that axe is sharpened, it bites into the wood and changes everything. We need to understand that wisdom is just like that axe. It, It needs to be sharpened. If... 
if we are Christians, then we're told that we have the full wisdom of God at our disposal. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, very specifically says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. We understand that as we're born again, he now resides in us. As well, we have the full wisdom of God in terms of the word of God at our disposal. So we have the word, we have Christ in us. But we must learn to sharpen the acts of wisdom. We need to grow in our understanding of the word of God and our understanding of wisdom. We need to imbibe the word of God. We need to pray the word of God. And we need to be watchful over our situations, wherever we may be. There are no shortcuts to wisdom. It's sweat work. You need to dive into the word of God and study. And then apply it to wherever we live. The danger of not learning to sharpen our acts, to sharpen wisdom, is like the snake charmer, we're told, who thinks they've charmed the snake only to get bitten and dies. So here's our second main point this morning. Since life is filled with danger, we must learn to act wisely and even grow in our ability to use wisdom. Our actions must be guided by wisdom and not folly. Allowing even a little bit of folly into our lives will create harm. It will hurt us. It will hurt others. A student who does not act wisely will, will hinder their career and hurt their parents. A business person who does not act wisely can, can endanger the life and the livelihood of those who work for him. A politician who doesn't act wisely will hurt his constituents. A pastor who does not act wisely will lead his flock in the pathway of, of ruin. So just a little bit of folly can bring great harm. It can bring great harm to us. It will bring great harm to our family. It will bring great harm to the church. It will bring great harm to the name of Christ. We could lose our testimony in this world because of the silly decisions that we make. We could find ourselves falling from grace by just a little bit of folly. And so I want to ask you, what is your situation? If you were to do something foolish, to act in folly, who would you hurt? We, we, we do things many times without thinking about the consequences of those who would, who would also receive the, the outworking, the consequences of it. But the reality is, is when we're caught, that's when the weight of things come down upon us. But before you make foolish decisions, who is this going to affect? What are the greater ripples of this foolishness going to be? You need to take stock and to walk wisely. The third point that the preacher has for us, we talk about birds here in uh, chapter 10, verses 12 through 20. And basically, since a little folly can do so much harm, wisdom must govern our speech. Now, in this section, there's really a dichotomy or a contrast between the wise man and the fool, whether they use wisdom or whether they use folly. I have a friend I haven't seen in a while, but he was a great man, is a great man of God. Uh, 
He always listens, never complains, never criticizes. And when he actually says something of concern, there is weight and meaning behind it, so much so that when he speaks, everyone listens. Have you ever met anybody like that? I know there's at least one person in our church like that. Unlike the wise man, the fool will be consumed or ruined by his foolishness. His words will start a simple foolishness, but will lead to utter ruin because he always wants to share, always wants to start talking about things. And once he starts, he never stops. His foolishness, says the preacher, will get to the point where he'll even want to predict the future. Now, as opposed to my friend Greg, who, when he says something, it's weighted and people listen, I know someone else. They always have an opinion. They never stop talking. Their understanding is always right. No matter what happens, they have the right understanding. And, and, and they're just like a, a little dog with a bone. They're always in there sharing, 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 and they never stop. That's foolishness. That's a lack of wisdom. So there is ultimately a great difference in the outworking here, isn't there? Whether wisdom is used or folly is followed. Wisdom brings great favor, while folly brings great ruin. The toil of the fool will wear him out. And if you remember, we talked about the fool walking down the middle of Dundas Street here with no purpose, no end. Verse 15 says the fool walks down the street and he doesn't even know which way the city is. He doesn't even know which way he's pointing to. Today we might see, say something like, they don't even know when to come out of the rain. <laughs> he, he's just so caught up in his own foolishness and stupidity. Now to drive home that importance of wise speech, in verses 16 through 17, the preacher tells us about the consequences of leadership that is foolish. It's really a lament, a, a crying out. The land that is led by a foolish man is being ruled by a child that doesn't know what to say or to do. And while he doesn't know what to say or to do, the leaders do what they want to do when they want to do it. The people, however, who are ruled by a wise man are blessed. The wise man knows what to do and when to do it, and because of that, the leaders feast at the proper time. And to sharpen that even more, then we come to the proverb that through sloth the roof leaks, and through indolence, the neglect, the roof falls in. It's really a reference to the old days when the, you had to regularly maintain the, the rafters and the, the structure of your house. You had to uh, apply lime to the timbers to keep the, the, the moisture out and the bugs out. So what we're talking about here is that a lack of maintaining the house will eventually guarantee that the house will fall in. The fool neglects his responsibilities. The use of wisdom in speech is so important that verse 20 even goes as far as to say, you should never even think about talking about the king in private in whispers, just in case there's a little bird who hears and will tell him. We must become wise in not only what we do, but what we say. Since a little bit of folly can undo a lot of wise living, we must learn to live, to walk, to talk with wisdom 
in all of the aspects of life. But you know what? It's not simply an issue of, of saying what is right, saying, speaking wisdom. It's when you say it, how you say it, why you say it, even why do you think you need to say it. Beyond that, we could say for our day-to-day, it's what you post, what you comment on, what you tweet. And I see this all so often in Christians. Even those who may be the most guarded in their regular conversations, when it comes to Facebook or when it comes to other things, they will post comments or support things that are, are really blurts or dumping of, of thoughts and emotions, which is really just folly. So here's the third point. All of our communication must be seasoned with wisdom. The wise man or woman of God knows that they must continually hone their acts. They must continually hone wisdom. It, it, that you must think that it has to be sharp to be effective and useful in your hands. The foolish man, the foolish woman, though, neglects their responsibilities. Just like neglecting roof repairs. It will cause great damage. But this all begs the question for us this morning. What does foolishness look like in my life? How would I know if I'm speaking foolishly or if I'm living foolishly? Well, it certainly doesn't have anything to do with IQ, does it? We know that there are many simple folk who, have, who are very wise indeed. And there are many with great educations who are very foolish. We've learned already that the fool in chapter 2 is morally blind. In chapter 5, the fool is lazy. In chapter 7, the fool is blind-tempered. In chapter 9, he, view, he refuses to take advice. But to all of this, we can now add these characteristics. The fool is impulsive, disobedient, self-centered, arrogant, and has a disregard for the holiness of God. One preacher has even said it this way. The foolish man or woman of God is someone who, lack, who lacks the proper fear of God and therefore is prone to go in the wrong direction in life. The foolish man or woman of God is someone who lacks the proper fear of God and is therefore prone to go in the wrong direction of life. Is that you? Now, let me also add that most of us at some point in time or another, I would dare say even all of us, will find ourselves in a season of life where folly will be the norm, will be the default of our actions and our words. It's often at the convergence or coming together of physical problems, of spiritual crises, of hurt, of depression. And these things dominate. We will act out and we will speak foolishly. So how do I know if, if I'm the man or the woman of God who, who works wisdom, who seeks wisdom, uh, or the man or the woman of God who follows after folly? Well, what is the direction of your life at this moment? Is it toward temptation or away from it? Are you developing a deeper walk with God or are you spiritually apathetic? Are you drawing closer to the people of God or farther away? 
In what ways do your, does your heart incline you to the right or to the left? Do you have a growing desire for God's word, or has the word of God become stale? Are you moving closer to God in prayer or farther away? Are you getting more serious about sin or more complacent? Are you growing in your sanctification or have you become stagnant? There is great strength in wisdom, but it only takes a little bit of folly to create great disaster. So in all of our labors, in all of our communication, the man or the woman of God must pursue wisdom and must learn how to apply it. And how much more so in this world around us, where everyone wants to throw caution to the wind and put their opinions publicly in every type of domain, when truth is really individually pre-described or, or, or determined, and with great pride everyone is pushing their ideas, their thoughts, how much more so do we need to learn to walk in wisdom when our world is so captivated by folly? When our leaders exemplify folly? How, how much more do we need to be careful when we see great men of God who even just recently have fallen into great sin? And our question was, would be, what were those decisions of folly that led them to there? We are called to live out wisdom. We can have a great and wonderful effect on the world around us, and it can be a great blessing to us, but it only takes a little bit of folly to ruin everything, to, great, to bring great demise. I pray that as we contemplate these things, again, we think about the angst and the rise of the anxiety that we feel in this ongoing pandemic and the continual lockdown. We need to ask God what it means to live by wisdom in these days, that we might give a wonderful living testimony to the grace and the mercy of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks, for you have loved us with a with a love that pursued us, that won our hearts, that captured our imaginations, that, that changed our souls. We thank you for the righteousness of Christ that is now ours. And Lord, we give you praise and thanks for your ongoing mercies to us. For Christ and for your word. May we be people who learn to use and to walk wisely. Lord, Help us to be a great and wonderful testimony. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.